Church, as we open up the scriptures this morning to Ephesians chapter 5, at this time, many elementary kids are welcome to gather out in the foyer uh, for the beginning of children's worship. But we're in Ephesians chapter 5 today, and so we'll continue our journey in this portion of the Bible. We're looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and currently we're in a, a sub-series within Ephesians on marriage, relationships, and the gospel. And so today we come to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25, and we'll read through verse 33. And so as you find your place there in God's Word, before you get comfortable, would you join me standing, all who are able, for the reading of God's Holy Word. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Let's hear our text for today. Paul writes, he says, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Would you pause and pray with me? Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for your spirit now with us. And Father, we pray that you would lead us, Lord, that you would instruct us, Lord, to rightly understand and digest your word to us and apply it to our lives as your people for the glory of your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We may be seated. Well, as mentioned just a moment ago, we're, we're talking about uh, love and marriage and relationships and the gospel, and we all want to be loved. We all want to be loved, and, and we want to be loved. We want to be loved forever. Right? Most people, not everyone, but most people in, in our day uh, aspire to be married, yet so many marriages collapse. Right? Fewer people are, are getting married, and most of those that do are waiting until later in life. 30 is the new 20. Our culture preaches that loves a fleeting feeling that sex is cheap and marriage is a transitory contract. Hollywood shouts at us that marriage is supposed to be easy and the moment that it's not, we should bail. Now we know better than that. We know that marriage is hard. You know this. Marriage is not easy. You know this either by first-hand experience or you know it by witnessing the experience of others. It's, it's not easy. How is it not easy? It's two different people trying to live life together. Two different people. Two, two sinners trying to live as one together. Marriage is not easy. But it's good. A marriage is, is good. It's, it's a good gift from 
God to his people. As part of God's plan for the people he has made to flourish and to multiply across the earth. We can look back at the beginning of God's word. In the very beginning, the first people, Adam and Eve, had a perfect relationship, a right relationship with God prior to sin, but not only with God, also with one another in the context of marriage. And God, knowing all things, knew that this would not always be the case. He knew that these very ones that he had made in his own image, these ones that he had made to know him and to enjoy him and to be in relationship with him, God knew that they would ultimately sin against him, that they would rebel against him, that they would disobey him. And even so, in his patience and in his love, God pursued them. But the God that we're worshiping today is a God who pursues us. He has pursued us by sending Jesus to rescue us and to restore us back into a right relationship with him, a relationship that lasts forever and ever. You see, according to the Bible, human marriage, marriage mirrors that relationship. Marriage illustrates God's covenant love for his people in Christ. Marriage between a husband and a wife illustrates God's covenant love for his people in Christ. Now, I had a a heavenly donut last night and again this morning. I don't have these all the time, but... um, you expect a donut from heavenly the, the heavenly donut company to, to be pretty good, do you not? Right? If it's not, it's not going to make it. And I'll be honest, uh, the heavenly donut company uh, just about lives up to its its name. So I think, right? They they, they meet the test, right? They they I, nothing against Mr. Crispy, Mr. Duncan. Those are good, but heavenly donuts are really, really good. But as good as they are, they're they're not heaven, right? They're they're not. <laughs> Uh, whatever heaven is like, it is far better than even a heavenly, a heavenly donut. That's a taste, a glimpse of what the ultimate reality is, perhaps. That's a terrible analogy. But I think of marriage, I think of my own relationship, and even last week talking about differences between husbands and wives. I, uh, I was reminded yesterday, once again, of a, a difference between myself and my own bride through a conversation. I should probably let Ashley tell this story, but she uh, probably doesn't want to this, this morning. And this, this came out right away uh, on our, our honeymoon. It was uh, determined and has since been confirmed that I'm a minimalist. Like, I don't, I don't want to carry stuff. I don't want more stuff than what we need. But, but Ashley, uh, she likes to be prepared for whatever we face. So like going out, it might get cold. Let's take some extra jackets. Let's be prepared. I'm like, well, we'll just tough it out. We'll be okay. Like, I don't want to take more stuff than what we need. And this came to a head on our honeymoon. We were in another context. We were in Mexico at a resort and we had our one big outing of the week. We were going to do sort of a, a once in a lifetime thing. And that was swim with the dolphins. Anybody ever swam with dolphins? Like, yeah, a few of you. Pretty, pretty cool deal. And so we're going out. I'm thinking, I, I don't know where we're going. I'm in completely in, in the hands of these folks. I don't want to take more than what I need. So I take a few dollars of cash. I say, it's already paid for. We got what we need. We're going to be back here for the next meal. I'll take $40 in cash and that'll cover whatever we may face. And that's just saying, no, let's, let, let's take a credit card in case we need more than that. And I'm thinking, no, I don't want to lose a credit card. And so we go. I have a Wonderful time, right? Swimming with the dolphins alongside all these other 
folks. And then it comes time to purchase your picture, your picture for swimming with the dolphins. And you know how much those pictures cost to swim with the dolphins? $25. Ashley does $25. And that's for one of you, right? That's not both of you. So 25 plus 25, what's the total? $50. That's right. You got it. $50. I've got $40, which will not cover the cost. You know, we, we want a picture of us together. No, we can't do that. One for you, one for you. One, uh, Ashley, we'll get your picture. That'll be good. We can remember. No, I don't want that. That's, I didn't do this by myself, right? So, so a picture like that, should we have it? And we don't. Blame me. Right? Should we have it today is a visible portrait of an experience, a greater reality. The picture is, is not the experience itself that we had together. It's a, a picture, an illustration, a glimpse, a visible representation of the larger event. Such is marriage with God's love for us. Right? Marriage, human marriage between a husband and a wife illustrates God's covenant love for His people in Christ. In other words, it it points, as we said last week, to a larger event, a more ultimate event, a greater reality, a primary reality, and that's God's love for His people in Christ. So His covenant love. What's a covenant? Well, whereas a contract is easily broken if one party doesn't meet the demands of the other, a covenant is a bond. When it comes to marriage, it's a bond sealed with vows meant to be permanent and enduring. It's more than a transaction of goods. It's relational by nature. When a man and a woman stand before God and witnesses and promise to love one another from this day forward and sickness and in hell for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, that's a covenantal love. It's not meant to be broken. Church, God loves us with a covenantal love. He loves us with that kind of love. Meaning those who turn to Jesus are welcomed into God's forever family and there's no way out. Like once you're in, you're in. Praise the Lord. Are you in? Are you part of His family? Have you turned to Christ in faith? Are you called a child of God, a brother, a sister in Christ, one of his very own. Once you're in, you're in. You know, one of my favorite pastoral opportunities is premarital counseling. And based on what I've said today and last week, you probably think you're terrible at premarital counseling. But one of my favorite things to do is premarital counseling. And one things I one thing that I, I, I always tell couples preparing for marriage is this, that your marriage is not ultimately about you. Your marriage is not ultimately about you. Sure, it, it involves you. Right? It's God's gift to you. It's, it's for your good and your flourishing. But your marriage is about someone and something much more significant than just the two of you. Your marriage is about Jesus and the church. Now, if that sounds crazy, it's okay. Because in a sense, it should Based on what Paul is saying here, he's saying that marriage 
is a profound mystery. The relationship between Jesus and his bride is a profound mystery, verse 32, meaning something knowable only because God has now made it known. Something that was formerly not knowable that has now become knowable because the Spirit has revealed it. As Paul instructs husbands and wives, he's jumping back and forth between marriage application and gospel proclamation. This is a profound mystery, he says. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. In essence, he's saying that when God instituted marriage way back in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, he did so because one day Jesus and his church would be one. When he describes the, the, the one flesh union of husband and wife, he's doing so And giving that to foreshadow and to illustrate Jesus' union with the church. And so here's single Mr. Paul saying, what you married folks have is pretty special. Paul is saying as much. But it pales in comparison to what we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Meadowbrook, why do we care about marriage? Why would we unpack marriage? Why would we spend time on this particular subject? Church, we care about marriage because marriage illustrates God's covenant love for His people in the Lord Jesus Christ. How so? As faithful wives gladly follow loving leadership. His faithful wives gladly follow loving leadership. This was our focus last week in verses 22, 23, and 24. So we're not going to camp out here today. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to the message. But our task for today is to lean into Paul's instructions, his words to husbands. Marriage illustrates God's covenant love for his people in Christ. As faithful wives gladly follow loving leadership and as faithful husbands imitate our Savior's servant leadership. As faithful husbands imitate our Savior's servant leadership. Like, that's the model that we have here. Servant leadership. Many credit a guy named Robert Greenleaf with coming up with this servant leadership model and urging and encouraging company leaders and organizational leaders to put the needs of employees first, above their very own. Commendable model that's been used by many organizations over the last number of decades. But a guy named Robert Greenleaf did not come up with servant leadership. The founder and perfecter of servant leadership was the Lord Jesus Christ. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now Paul could have said sort of like, a little like, kind of like. He says just as. Husbands, that's the model. That's the standard. That's the example. Radical to hear in any day, but how radical this was to hear in first century Ephesus, as one uh, scholar points out, where the far more typical approach to marriage was that the wife should manage the household well in order to free the husband from domestic concerns and to enhance his social prestige. Paul says, wait a minute, not so fast. 
says, no, not, not for those who know the love of Jesus Christ. He says, love your wives with a wide and long and high and deep love, the kind that sacrifices personal interests and social prestige, yes, even your very life for the sake of your wife. See, marriage is more about our holiness than it is our happiness. It reveals the depth of our sin and the measure of God's amazing grace, a relationship meant to illustrate God's covenant love, His faithful love, His forever love for His people in Christ. And not just to illustrate it to one another as husbands and wives within the context of marriage, certainly to do so. In other words, as you husbands love your wives, as you wives love your husbands, you teach one another something of God's love for us. But not just within that relationship, but to those in the watching world, those around us, so that people see, so that people see the way we husbands honor and cherish our wives, standing beside her in faithfulness through the good times and the bad, and they ask, why? Why would you do that? So that people see the way you wives gladly follow your husband's leadership, standing beside him in faithfulness through the good times and the bad. And they begin to ask, why? So that people see the way you singles reject the pervasive hookup culture of our day, instead using your God-given time and energy to gladly serve Jesus and his bride. And they begin to ask, why? Why would you do that? How can you be content in that? You see, church, since marriage is indeed a gospel issue, illustrating God's covenant love for His people in Jesus Christ, let's be a people who honor and uphold God's design for marriage. Let's honor and uphold God's design for marriage. And what is marriage? How do we define it? The Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which is our latest statement of faith adopted by those within our own faith tradition, tradition, the Southern Baptist Convention defines marriage as this, the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. The uniting of, of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. Now that's succinct, but biblical. So whether you're single or married, young or old, divorced, widowed, remarried, whether or not you identify as heterosexual or homosexual, you're called to honor and uphold God's design for marriage, which is celibacy and singleness and fidelity in marriage. Celibacy and singleness and fidelity in marriage. There's no other path of God glorifying sexual expression. Celibacy and singleness and fidelity in marriage, which is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. Now, if you think that's the message of our times, then you don't get out much. Right? Everything in our day screams otherwise. The idolization of self Pornography at the click of a button. Contraceptives readily available. The normalization of any and every form of sexual expression. Church, will we trust the God who made us? Will we trust that He knows best? Or will we succumb to the lies propagated by the world? 
Will we believe that the God who gave us is worthy? Will we believe that he is trustworthy and good? And that he speaks to this issue in every thing that we may face in life, that he, his word is trustworthy and good and meant to guide us on the path of, of knowing and exalting him. You see, the traffic lights are stop signs that kept you from colliding with other cars on your way here this morning weren't here to hinder your journey or to trip you up, but they were meant to keep your journey safe. And the same is true with the Word of God. The only true, the only truly safe and satisfying place to fulfill our God-given sexual desire is within the security of a lifelong marriage covenant, not in the shifting shadows of a short-term relationship. But church, we, we desperately need to hear and to believe what God says about marriage. Marriage matters. It matters because marriage illustrates God's covenant love for His people in Christ and praise God his grace not only saves us and not only rescues us right by his grace he forgives us of our sins and restores us into right relationship with him not only does his grace save us this is good news but God's grace also enables us to live as he intends his grace guides us and equips us right we don't we don't do this in our own strength nor do we want to like we can't and we won't and we haven't not apart from the Spirit of God working in the hearts of the people of God by the grace of God. But by His grace, we can flee immorality, even in our day. We can flee immorality and honor God's plan for marriage to portray the gospel. By His grace, we can pursue celibacy and singleness and fidelity in marriage. But apart from His grace, we haven't and we won't. And here's the deal, church, as we consider what God has to say about this particular subject matter, as we consider what God has to say about marriage, some of us need to have an honest conversation with our spouse about our own failures. Failures to love the other in a way that mirrors the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps even a conversation about infidelity in our own relationship. Trusting that God's desire is honesty and confession and believing that He does indeed specialize in restoring broken relationships. Some of us need to have a conversation with a pastor or a brother in Christ about an addiction to pornography. Some of us need to have a conversation with a parent about a struggle with homosexuality or a conversation with a girlfriend or a boyfriend about crossing boundaries. Oh, church, marriage illustrates God's covenant love for His people in Christ. So let's be a people who honor and uphold His design. And praise God that His grace not only enables us to live for Him, it does. Not only does God's grace enable us to live for Him, but it's also a grace that forgives and restores those among us whose sexual past is spoiled. Right? Those of us whose relationships have far from illustrated and rightly reflected the gospel of Jesus. In other words, when I look over my own shoulder, when you look over your shoulder, when we look over our shoulder, I find great comfort 
in knowing that my position today before God isn't determined by my past sins, but by the shed blood of Jesus on Calvary's cross. And friends, because His grace covers our sins, we darn best be ready to show and tell fellow sinners of His amazing grace. And so church, it's high time. It's high time that we in the church welcome and walk beside those that are struggling with these issues. Coming alongside and listening and caring and loving and helping those struggling with sexual sin, listening and loving sinners within the body of Christ in ways that share and show the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kind of faithful and forever love of God for His people in the Lord Jesus Christ. So may we be a safe place and a welcoming people and a caring, loving, helping people that mirror God's love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what kind of love is it we're talking about? Well, quickly, husbands are called to imitate Christ's love. So how does Jesus love us? Well, we see here that Christ loves us with a sacrificial love. He loves us with a sacrificial love. He loves us with a faithful, attentive, foot-washing, Golgotha kind of love. It's the greatest love. There's no love like it. It's the kind of love that is willing to lay down a life for one's friends. That's how Christ has loved us as he hung on the cross. Jesus could have said, I'm dying to love you. I'm dying because I love you and because I want you to experience the fullness of my love for you forever and ever and ever. John says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And Paul would add, especially you husbands for your wives. You see, those who know the love of the Savior gladly give themselves away for the good of others and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives within me. My life is not my own anymore. I don't call the shots. It's not about me. I've been crucified with Christ. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so, husbands, may we say to our wives, because Christ gave himself for me, I'm going to love you and give myself away for you. Christ loves with with a sacrificial love. And Christ loves us with a sanctifying love. A sanctifying love. See, as Paul charges husbands to love their wives like Jesus, he tells us how Jesus has loved us. How has he loved us? He has set us apart as his own. He's cleansed us from our sin. As we heard and believed the gospel, Jesus died, Paul says, to make the church holy. He died to make us holy, cleansing the church by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. And so picture a bride on her wedding day. Cleansed, prepared, clothed in white, in beauty, 
representing purity. She prepares to give herself in the covenant of marriage to her husband. That's no doubt an image that's in Paul's mind here as he's writing this text. Jesus has done so for us. He has cleansed us and purified us. He's forgiven us so that we can be in a covenant relationship forever and ever as the recipients of His perfect love. You see, marriage isn't so much about your happiness as your holiness. And it's not just about your holiness, but also the holiness of your spouse. So as one pastor and author poses the question, he says, is our wife more like Christ, husbands, because she is married to us? Or is she like Christ in spite of us? Friends, church, Christ loves us with a sacrificial love, a sanctifying love, and we see here that Christ loves us with a satisfying love. A satisfying love. Paul says, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, verse 22, for the two have become one. For this is how Christ cares for his body, the church. Jesus nourishes his bride. Jesus cherishes the church. He gives her just what she needs, filling her deepest desires. Paul's highlighting the way that Jesus loves us, and he's calling us to mirror his love in the confines of Christian marriage. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Well, Jesus said the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul's saying to husbands, your wife is your closest neighbor. Love your spouse, love your wife as yourself. And once again, I think of couples that have been married for 30, 40, 50, even 60 years, caring for one another, caring for one another through crisis, through heartache, through illness and injury and grief and loss, even unto death. That's what it means, husbands, to love your wives, to love our wives with a satisfying love, to long for security and joy and companionship and intimacy and health and peace for your wife, just as you do for yourself. Know how that would change the marriage landscape today. But you know, I think the most striking thing that Paul says in this text isn't what he says of wives. It's not what he says of husbands. But it's what he says of Jesus. You see, Paul's primary focus here is Jesus' union with the church. In other words, if we read Ephesians chapter 5 and we come away only thinking about husbands and wives within the context of human marriage, we're missing the point. We are one body united together to Jesus, never to be separated from Him. This is forever love. The kind captured by John's vision of heaven where he says in Revelation chapter 21, hear what John says. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The holy city and the bride of Christ, two images that suggest glorious and unhindered communion with God and His people. We will commune with God in intimate fellowship and perfect love forever and ever and ever. We will be forever with God, enjoying unhindered access to the High King, the Lord of all lords, the Creator of life, the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Lamb that was slain for us. We will be with Him and we will know Him like we've never known Him before. We will see Him face to face and He will forever call us His own. We are His body and His bride. So church, let's rejoice in our great bridegroom. Let's rejoice in Jesus, the bridegroom of the church. Let's rejoice in Christ as we look to Jesus for help, as we should. As we look to Christ for guidance on relationships and marriage and love and the gospel here, friendships here, as we look to Christ, let's rejoice in Jesus as God's permanent provision of lasting love for us. Let me share Charles Spurgeon's words on this subject. Charles Spurgeon, great English preacher and longtime pastor of Metropolitan Tabernacle in London throughout the 19th century. Listen to what he says as he reflects on this. Charles Spurgeon said, This love of Christ is the most amazing thing under heaven, if not in heaven itself. How often have I said that to you? That if I had heard that Christ pitied us, I could understand it. If I had heard that Christ had mercy upon us, I could comprehend it. But when it is written that He actually loves us, that is quite another and a much more extraordinary thing. Love between mortal and mortal is quite natural and comprehensible, but love between the infinite God and us poor, sinful, finite creatures, though conceivable in one sense, is utterly inconceivable in another. Who can grasp such an idea? Who can fully understand it, especially when it comes to us in this form? He loved me and gave himself for me. This is the miracle of miracles. And oh, Meadowbrook, let's rest in this miracle. Let's rest now and forever in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's rejoice in our great bridegroom, the one who has, does, and will forever love and satisfy all who look to him. Are you looking to him? Oh, friends, may we look to Christ, the Savior of sinners, the Lord of all, the Redeemer of souls, the one who gave his life that we might know and enjoy him forever and ever. Look to Jesus Christ. Oh God, help us look to you. Help us look to you for life and salvation, Lord, for guidance, Lord, for comfort, for direction. Father, for love. 
Lord, lead us not to put some burden on ourselves or someone else that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, guide us. Guide us to your love. Lead us by your spirit. Lord, to rest in Jesus Christ alone. Father, to worship Christ alone. Lord, to give ourselves fully to Christ alone. Lord, guide us in that way. Show us your love. Lead us to praise you. Lead us to know you. Lead us to walk with you. Father, thank you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.